In this episode of the Deming Institute podcast, Mr. Bill Cooper is our guest. Bill shares his background with Dr. Deming and sage advice for today's management. Hi, I'm Tripp Babbitt with the Deming Institute podcast. Our guest today is Bill Cooper. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. I look forward to this. Very good. So let's uh, begin. And, and tell me, just for starters, a little bit about your career. Well, I spent 30 years at uh, Naval Air Station North Island as a federal employee. I uh, was a senior executive there and uh, um, retired in 1988. And after that, ran a kind of a consulting company with Phil Monroe, uh, teaching Dr. Deming's theories and was around the, all over the world, in fact, uh, doing that for the, in most cases, the Department of Defense and other private sector companies. Okay. So how did you and Dr. Deming cross paths? What's the story there? And then, then obviously, you know, Phil Monroe, who will have been on the uh, podcast prior to your release, you can uh, speak to that too. Well, in 1982, uh, I met Dr. Deming. Uh, first of all, let me give you a little background. I I taught leadership, and that was a, for lack for lack of a better term, kind of one of those people that wanted to read as much as I could about leadership. I was very much a Peter Drucker fan, and uh, uh, also was a, was a fan of uh, Ken Blanchard, who wrote the One Minute Manager. Even though Dr. Deming called that a book for idiots, because he said management leadership is tough. But uh, I used the situational leadership model. I taught leadership at uh, two different universities, the National Graduate School and also National University. So I had uh, that. And in my own organization, I headed an organization of 4,400 people. And so when I met Dr. Deming, uh, I came out of the meeting with him where there were only 22 people in attendance, and that was in 1982, basically said, uh, and I don't know what that old man said, of course, and he was only 82, and I'm 83 today, so uh, anyway, um, I came out of there and said, that old man has something to say, but I'm not sure what it is. So with myself and Dr. Lori Bradley and from the Naval Personnel Research we started following Dr. Deming, and we formed the first Deming users group in the country. And any time Dr. Deming was on the West Coast or in San Diego or whatever, because he liked it here, we would make sure that we got to meet with him, and uh, and and I would interview him, and we would spend as much time as we possibly could. I had a motorhome at the time, and he loved uh, clam chowder, so I'd take my motorhome and get some people together, and we'd go over sit by the bay and eat clam chowder and just have a great time with him. <laughs> but mainly, i say I had this manufacturing organization of about 40, 400 people with, had 372 or 272 line managers. And so over the years, I'd been kind of a student of leadership and various, I don't like the word guru, but various styles of leadership and what made sense. Uh, when I ran across Dr. Deming, I mean, his, what he was saying seemed to cover most of the areas that I had been studying for a number of years. And uh, I was one of those crazy people that had an internal leadership training schedule for my people, and, and I was the teacher. 
<laughs> so not only did I teach at college at night as an adjunct professor, I also did that to the folks in my own organization. Okay. I started, so that's basically how I met Dr. Deming. I was lucky enough that that first introduction, he says, does anybody want to go to dinner with me tonight? And eight of us said, yeah. So that was my first personal interaction with Dr. Deming. There was eight of us that had dinner that night, and uh, it was a great experience. Oh, very good. Uh, let me ask you this question then, Bill. When, when you first heard Dr. Deming talk, and, and you alluded to the fact that, that some of it didn't make a lot of sense to you, or you had to digest some of it, uh, was that way, the way that you kind of left there after you heard, heard the seminar, or did you start to connect the dots immediately? What was kind of your no, personal no, journey? It, no, and both Dr. Bra- Dr. Lori Bradley and I both of them came out of there and basically said there's something here. Mm. Um, you know, and, and at that point in time, with the 4,400 people I had on the production side, Dr. Bradley at the uh, Naval Personnel Research Institute was looking for somebody to study at that level. So uh, we got together and basically said, what a great opportunity. Here's a place to use some strategic objective that you will under a Dr. Deming's theories. And that was the beginning of what the government finally called total quality management. Even though Dr. Deming, if you ask him what total mm-hmm. quality management was, he would tell you, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. Uh, he, he, well, the foundation of total quality management started with my organization, started with Lori and I and Dr. Steve Dockstetter and Dr. Linda Dockstetter. And we basically said, okay, let's bring, and that went, eventually went all through the Department of Defense. And the organizational structure, and it was called the Executive Steering Committee, and that was based on Dr. Russell Acoff's book on democratic leadership. So that's the foundation of total quality management in the Department of Defense and the federal government. It started with my organization and uh, Dr. Bradley uh, in San Diego. So. I mean, as far as as you were, you know, implementing the Deming philosophy into government, basically, what was the acceptance like? What was was it a real challenge? Did you feel like you were pulling teeth, or did did you feel like you were able to move things forward fairly easily? Well, I think any time that you, as a, as a senior leader, <clears throat> decide to make a change in your organization, most of them, I think any anybody who's been to a training program in a large organization and has come back all hyped up about a, a particular strategy or vision, the organization will, you know, the organization will attempt to beat you down. I've always said that you, you put a grain of sand in an oyster sometime, it would create a pearl. But if you send somebody back to a training class and they come back, start to bring that all in the, into a class, they do not produce pearls. They try to beat you down. Hmm. But, uh, you know, they say, well, you know, Coop's been to a training program. He's going to try to bring this stuff back now. <laughs> It'll take us about two weeks to bring him back to get him back down in parade dressed, and then we can go back to where our culture is at. So, oh. Yes, that's, I think, but I think that's true of anything. I mean, there's so much correlation between leadership and having family. The thing that intrigued me the most about Dr. Deming's vision was the idea of continuous improvement. Hmm. Because I believe all of us parents have that same vision and desire for our kids. But somehow when we get into business, we lose that 
vision about continuous improvement. So that was what really intrigued me about Dr. Deming. And so as you were training, you know, some of the people in uh, Dr. Deming's philosophy, was he conducting some of the workshops with you or did did you just kind of take it, you took it out on on your own? No, I I, I did it. I mean, I I was the one who ran the classes, you know, and, and I was one of those nutty people that got people to sit down in your organization and you know, watch his early tapes. And, mm. you know, Deming, uh, I forced some people to sit in a room because they worked for me, and a lot of them went to sleep. <laughs> so I decided that wasn't a very effective thing. So I began actually running classes in my organization where they, you know, even though I quote I was the boss, I was also the teacher or professor that can aim for it. And uh, I could see their faces and, and their expressions. And, um, uh, I had a friend of mine that put it as happily as I, I've ever heard it because one of his, he was my counterpart in Cherryport, North Carolina, good old Southern boy. He had my same executive job in, in that location, but he was introducing total quality management and Dr. Deming's theories. And one of the things one of his people says, you know, yeah, I hear you, but you know, you can't teach an old, dog new tricks and i thought he had a classic answer and what he said was you know what if all i want is somebody who will run around and bite people when they don't do things i can teach a german shepherd to do that (laughs) the only reason i have you here is to be able to think and perform and analyze so i always thought that was the best answer that i've heard for why people ought to continuously learn because quite frankly, a lot of our executives, they get to a point in time and uh, they stop learning. They think they know it all already. You mentioned that you had a personal relationship with Dr. Deming. Can you share some memories that you have of your interactions with him? Well, Dr. Deming liked martinis and he liked ice cream. And so typically after they would... I would do these roundtables and then we would go somewhere and have dinner or whatever. And at a personal level, first of all, he's the kind of person that those one-on-one times I had with him were really interesting for me because he was very much a Socratic teacher mm-hmm. in the sense that any question that I asked him, he would never tell me an answer. He would tell me where to go look. A classic example was that one time I was in a seminar with him somewhere and he mentioned something called the law of extreme values. And I went after the break and I said, Dr. Demick, I never heard you say that. What is the law of extreme values? And he said, I'll tell you. Well, two weeks later, I got a 452-page <laughs> doctoral thesis from one of his students you know, about the law of extreme values. Of course, most of it I didn't understand, but that was the type of person he was. He's very Socratic in that sense. So, but he had a great sense of humor. He had a very, very hearty laugh that came from the stomach all the way up. And and he loved, the, as, as, he, as Diana, his daughter said, "You were a perfect foil for my dad." You know, he he just loved finding those places. And I enjoyed every moment of it. I mean, I didn't mind being a straight man for his his laughter. I just enjoyed so much being around him, and I learned such a great deal from him. So it was an honor for me. 
You uh, also did some of the round tables with him as he went around the country then, or just yep. more in San Diego, mm-hmm. or just kind of everywhere? No, around the, around the country. Okay. And, and what was the experience like, somebody who was kind of a helper as he did the, the seminars? Uh, w- w- what were your takeaways from that? Well, it was interesting because you some of the things that Ron Moore and I, Ron Moore and I for example, did together a couple of times when you know, I helped out at the seminars and that kind of stuff. Um, it was very interesting to see the same type of struggles that everybody has when you try to improve an old line organization. Mm. The culture is entrenched. And quite frankly, all of them have been through what I call the guru of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're talking about Tom Peters, you know, Drucker or whoever it happens to be. I mean, that's just the, the leadership style. I mean, one of the stories that Deming told me about Lee Iacocca when he was Chrysler, chairman of the board, doc, he wanted Dr. Deming to come down. And Dr. Deming said, will you be there? And um, Lee Iacocca said, no, I'll send the company plane down to get you. And he said, that's not my question. Will you be there? during these sessions and he said no but i'll have all my staff there or my directors there dr deming says i won't come and Mm. and basically he got that when he was in japan and when he went to uh, represent the joint society of engineers called juicy which they in japan uh, because they sent out a letter which basically said that dr deming was going to be speaking and they sent it to a whole bunch of CEOs in Japan. But it had a great line in it, and that line said, if you can't come, send no one. Mm. So uh, Deming, walked out of a, Deming walked out of a meeting with some Buick executives because every time somebody asked a question, they would answer it. And so he just got up and walked out and basically said, I don't, if you're going to provide all the answers, you don't need your people here. So... Uh, he was uh, very forthright in terms of what he saw managers. He was very, very much anti-management. And he and Dr. Myron Tribus, and even though people give Deming credit for it, was really Dr. Myron Tribus, the so-called 85-15 rule. 85% of the problem is systemic, 15% is the people. He very much you know, articulated the idea that and, and the, the comment basically was people work in the system, management works on the system. So all systems and organizations belong to management and not to people. And he was very articulate in the sense that basically he said, you want to pr- improve your organization, improve your systems. And which is exactly what Dr. Russell Acoff said in his 26 books on system theory. Mm. So profound knowledge where he basically talked about the system side of it. And that's one of the things that that most managers don't think of as systemically. They think of the, the people or the problem. And Dr. Deming had a great line. He said, good, good, good people can never perform in a bad system. So, <clears throat> I mean, there's such a great deal of knowledge that I picked up from Dr. Deming over my time where they might could go on and on and on about. And as I say, I had 4,400 people working with me, not for me, because you find out when you get a lot of people working around you, somebody says, how many people work here? And I says, about half. <laughs> and uh, so the other half are, 
that half is doing what I want done or need to be done. But uh, one of the things I really learned from Deming, too, was the, the, the need to share with your people from a leadership standpoint what your vision is and what you hope to accomplish while you're in that position. Hmm. Most people don't do that. Okay. Uh, so is so I was actually a good segue into my next my next question, which is, you know, from this vast amount of experience of not only working with Dr. Deming, but your own personal journey, what 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 are some of the things that, that people seem to, to struggle with the most with regards to the philosophy? Well, I'll I'll give you an analogy. Uh, and most people had the biggest problem with understanding who owned the system. Mm. Because the easiest thing in the world to, to blame is people, you know, and that's, you know, it's a, it's a drawer full of reason for the people. Bill Cosby had a great analogy for that and the thing that he did call himself. And he basically asked how many people have two kids. And they raised your hands. He says, how many of you have one kid? And they raised their hands. And he says, all of you who have two kids or more are not parents. Because if you only have one, two kids, and something happens, you won't know who did it. If you have one kid, it was either the kid or the dog. And what <laughs> I did, picked that correlation up and basically said, it's amazing to me that you have two kids or more and you can't find out what goes on inside of your house. And yet you come into an organization with 300 or 1,000 or whatever and something goes wrong. You have the individual, you have the capability to point to the individual. And it happens over and over and over again. Mm. And the answer is, yeah, Fred did it. And I told Fred never to do it again. <laughs> and, you know, that's just the reality of it. <laughs> and it's, and the managers, they say, well, I'm very good at fixing things. I say, Hell, you ought to be. You fix the same thing over and over and over again <laughs> for 20 years. <laughs> Okay, that that's 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 a, a good analogy. Um, is there anything else that stands out in your mind about uh, things, or any other analogies that you have, <laughs> for that matter? Well, I think the system part, of course, mm -hmm. the the theory of variation, where Phil talks, <clears throat> Phil talks a lot about because his background's in mathematics. I think a lot of people, you know, especially in manufacturing facilities, that it. You know, they don't really have a background in math and that kind of stuff. The control charts and shoe heart theories and things like that was a little foreign to them. So we had to, we had to teach them basic statistics classes and that kind of stuff. Okay. It was interesting because in the 13 years that Phil and I had consulting companies, we never asked any company to collect more data. But we found out that everybody collected data, but nobody analyzed it. Mm. So true. They're data rich analysis poor. So yes, as you look at organizations today, where the Deming philosophy is, and you know modern organizations, what what do you see? I mean, have we made a dent in uh, what's happening? With, no. With okay. And the reason I say that is because when I go into a company there, I talk to employees, the companies, whatever. And I asked them one very important question. What is your improvement strategy for your company? You know, and I don't care where it's Six Sigma, you know, not Dr. Deming or, or the current guru or seven habits of effective people or whatever. What's your improvement strategy for this company that your management team is articulating? 
And the scary part about it is most of them don't have one. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And so you see that then as the biggest problem to, to overcome then at least, you know, on the front end of things. Yeah, because the, the idea that that's why Dr. Deming hated benchmarking, because you talk about benchmarking, Dr. Deming's answer was you think your competitor is sitting there waiting for you to catch up mm-hmm. where he's at. He or she's moving ahead. And so uh, that to me is, again, and I've told people all the time, the moment you go into an organization and you're the boss, sit down and explain your vision for where you want to take the organization. And but nobody does that. They just like, you know, they they'll wait till you one of the employees crosses that line, then they'll beat them to death until they cross the next line. So, and then what 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 Demings to drive out fear. And he and I had a long conversation about that one time, and he said there's nothing wrong with anxiety, but there's a difference about fear. Fear fear paralyzes people. Anxiety allows us to learn. So even though he said drive out fear, that's what he really meant was maintain anxiety in people's passion, but don't, you know, put them in a fearful mode where they become paralyzed. Right. Okay. Are there some other words of wisdom that you would have for organizations of today? Yeah, I think if I had anything for organizations today is to sit down with your management team and basically say, okay, how are we going to improve where we're at today? And let's assume we're a great organization. But by, you know, tomorrow we want to be better. But how do we intend to get there? You know, but you, you have a role as a leader. You know, I, as I've always said, management's about control. Leadership's about risk. And so the, the, your management team and your leadership team ought to be continually expressing a direction and a vision about where you want to take the organization. Where do we intend to go? But most of them don't. So if I had anything to say to a new prospective leader or head of an organization, it would sit down with your people and together come to the idea of what you want your future to look like and where do you want to move from where you're at today to where you're at in the future. And if it's a customer organization, how can you satisfy customer demand? on a continuing basis. Okay. And I mean that's a classic yeah, yeah. example. All you have to do all you have to do really is look at all these phone systems or dial one, dial seven. None of those are customer focused. No. Every one of those if you somebody tells me they got a good company and I go pick up the phone and go through all that. So you don't care about your customers. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Um, so my last question to you, Bill, is is there anything that I failed to ask you that you'd like to cover? and Or is there anything that maybe you said that you'd like to provide additional clarification on? No, you asked me the last question. I would just, again, suggest to any manager or any leader that there ought to be an improvement strategy from where you're at today to where you want to be tomorrow. And you ought to be capable of describing that path with you and your people. And that's one of the reasons I like <clears throat> Ken Blanchard's strategy because he developed them, what they call a situational leadership model. Mm-hmm. It all depends on the maturity of your people. So movement, any organization depends on the maturity of your people and certainly your leadership team about where you need to take them. But to have a, you know, 
Deming had a great line. Deming says, the management teams in most organizations can face everybody but their people. They can face recession, lost the market or whatever, but they can't face their people. And uh, you have to get down where the people are at. And, you know, I mean, basically, if you take a look at why Trump's president, that's basically what happened to him. He got down to where the people were at. Mm-hmm. I'm not a great fan of the president currently at, at, but I do understand that he got down to where the people were at that had some concerns and, and ideas. So, Mr. Bill Cooper, we thank you for being a guest on the Deming Institute podcast. I'm, I'm real, I appreciate the opportunity, and any time I get a chance to talk about Dr. Deming, nothing makes me happier than that. I, I enjoyed every moment of my relationship with him, and both as a professional, as a guidance, one as a teacher, and more importantly, as a friend. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Trip.